together Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. Hear now God's word. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would you would speak to us through your word. We do pray that you would speak even through my faltering lips and my weakness, that you would strike a straight blow with this crooked stick. Lord, this is your word given by your spirit, and this is spiritual warfare that we are engaged in right now, even uh, reclaiming sinners, sharing the hope of the gospel, and this can only be imparted by your Spirit, and so we ask that you would do so for your glory's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So kids, uh, students, if somebody was to ask you, what is the worst sin? I wonder what you would ask, how you would answer that question. And some people would say, well, you know, isn't all sin bad? And yes, all sin is bad. All sin is wrong. All sin is equally against God. And yet even our shorter catechism says that some, some sins in themselves or by other reasons are more heinous in the sight of God than others. And I think if we were... To, to accept that fact, and we were just try to put a, a pin on which one we thought was the worst sin, we probably would immediately start with these really bad sins of murder or adultery. Some of us who have been paying attention from time to time might be inclined to say uh, pride, because pride is definitely behind uh, much, <clears throat> much of our sin. Uh, it's a driver there. Uh, but one theologian uh, by the name of P.T. Forsyth said that the worst sin is prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. And he says it like this. He says, the worst sin is prayerlessness, overt sin or crime or the glaring inconsistencies which often surprise us in Christian people are the effect of this prayerlessness or its punishment. We are left by God for lack of seeking him. The history of the saints shows often that their lapses were the fruit and nemesis of slackness or neglect in prayer. Not to want to pray, then, is the sin behind sin. And it ends in not being able to pray. That is its punishment. Spiritual dumbness, or at least the inability to understand these things or express them, and starvation. We do not take our spiritual food, and so we falter, dwindle, and die. And I would readily admit that I think in, even in our reform circles, um, we, we have a love for doctrine, we have a love for the truth, a love for God's word, but prayer seems to be something that we struggle with. Prayer 
Uh, devotion to prayer it, uh, it's often something that we use as a means to kind of beat ourselves up. Um, but do we really believe that it is as essential as this author says, or as I think we'll see in this text? And some of that may be uh, attributed to what we think is actually going on in prayer. And if I think if we pull back the layers, I think ultimately we think not very much does really happen in prayer. Uh, there's a famous quote by Soren Kierkegaard, the uh, 19th century Danish philosopher, theologian, and he said this. You've probably heard this. He says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. And I think there is an element to tr- to tr- of truth in that, but I think that's very incomplete. It is true that prayer does not change God because God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And it no doubt does change the people who pray. And yet, as we were just read in James, prayer is powerful and effective. And it's powerful and effective because in prayer, God responds. God takes action in response to his people's prayers. And that's what we'll see here is that prayer is an essential element to the Christian life, even an essential aspect of this spiritual warfare, even the protection that God promises. Uh, we grab hold of that through prayer. And this passage, um, verse 18 to 20, uh, in the Greek text, it's actually one sentence. Uh, it's, in our ESV, it seemed a little weird starting in verse 18. But one commentator said that this one sentence is perhaps Scripture's most comprehensive single sentence on how we ought to pray. And so what you need to hear is that Christians must be urgently devoted to comprehensive prayer. Um, Now, if you are not in Christ now, you haven't put your faith in Christ, you you don't understand uh, who Christ is, you're not receiving him by faith. You probably heard about prayer, heard about Christians praying, but that may uh, be seem strange or uh, confusing why we would do such a thing. Hopefully you will hear uh, what prayer is, why it is effective, and how it, that is a, a vehicle for us to commune with the Almighty God. Um, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt you have struggled with your prayer life Um, And hopefully what you hear is how essential and necessary prayer is in our daily life as we seek to persevere in the midst of this life. And uh, in this passage, Paul, uh, there's this this feeling, this sense, this push of urgency, of necessity. And some of that is expressed through the repetition of of words that he has. And particularly um, the repetition of the word all. Perhaps you heard it. That's how we're going to proceed through the text uh, where he talks about praying at all times with all perseverance for all the saints. At all times with all perseverance for all the saints. So he begins by saying, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Notice the repetition. It seems kind of redundant. He says, pray with all prayer and supplication. Uh, so he begins by saying we need to be praying at all times. This is, this is like what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5 to that church. Um, he's saying pray at 
all times. And uh, a lot of us will pray at times of particular uh, trial or need. Many of us may pray at the dinner table. Um, it's important for us to pray when we, before we preach God's word or we open God's word or study God's word or some kind of meeting of God's people. All those, all those things are very important. and We should pray at those times. But uh, the, what, he, what he's driving at is praying at all times. It's a, uh, it's a constant state of prayer. And, you know, throughout my life, I've always kind of railed against that. Like, how could we possibly, like, I certainly can't really pray continually, constantly. And I think part of that goes to our definition of prayer. Like, quite certainly, we can't have the same focused, devoted, intentional prayer time while we're driving down the road. Or, or when we're trying to converse with somebody, we, it, that, that's not what he's talking about. There, there needs to be that aspect. But I think what he's talking about is an ongoing relational awareness of God's presence and power, um, almost like an inner dialogue that is ongoing, where you are communing with God, and, you know, even if it's just brief comments of asking for help, asking for wisdom, asking for protection. Uh, Lord, help me to see, help me to understand. Um, it's an ongoing type of thing. Uh, but it's not just at all times, he says, praying uh, with all prayer and supplication. So he's getting to all different kinds of prayers. Sometimes, you know, we've talked about this in our youth group, like often when we start asking for prayer requests, our prayer requests become very um, self-centered. It's all just, you know, God, give me this, you know, protect me with this, you know, all, God, help me, help me, help me. Um, which is important types of prayers. That's, I think, what he's getting to with supplications. Those are requests. But God would have us pray in other ways, um, in um, magnifying him for his uh, character and, and his work in praise, like what we read throughout the Psalms often, prayer, you know, prayers of praise, uh, times of confession. We should be confessing our sins regularly, uh, you know, as we identify those things, thanking God for the things that he's done, how he's answered prayers or how he's blessed us even without us asking, in addition to those supplication prayers. And so it's all types of prayers. Um, and then he says, uh, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit, in the Spirit, which um, doesn't necessarily mean that we need to have spirited prayers uh, like excited prayers or uh, not necessarily talking about like in the spiritual realm, like we've seen throughout Ephesians, but really um, he's talking about that our prayers need to be motivated, energized, and empowered by God's Spirit, which seems like an odd thing for him to exhort us to do because how in the world could we control God's Spirit? Like how could we actually fulfill that? unless we remember that what Paul has already said is that God has given us his spirit. That spirit is dwelling within us. It's been given to us as a deposit of our inheritance, and that spirit is at work. And so our prayers are energized and motivated and driven by the 
that um, spirit. And that's kind of what we saw in Romans chapter 8, that the spirit is interceding on our behalf along with our prayers. Um, I think part of this uh, praying in the spirit, uh, there was a, the Puritans had this quote, um, pray until you're really praying. Because oftentimes when we pray, we're just kind of saying words. But as we actually continue to engage the Lord and actually consider the fact that we are praying to the Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has beckoned us to his throne of grace, our prayers change. And uh, that may be part of what this Spirit is doing in the midst of our prayers. Um, And it's also helpful to remember that you know, we, we say that prayer is something that we pray in accordance with God's will. And God has revealed his will in his word. And so it can be helpful to pray God's word back to him. Um, there are helpful resources to talking about like praying through the Psalms. But I mean, even if you think about our specific context of the armor of God, I mean, you could, you could turn that around and you could be praying. You know, Paul says, you know, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and you could turn that back to a prayer to say, Father, help me to grab hold of your protection through faith, and would you truly extinguish those arrows of the evil one? Help me in the midst of those trials to stand firm and to cling to your promises and to grow in those things. Um, And you could do that from all of God's word, all of his promises. And we should. We should pray those things to him. And he answers those prayers, but we have to watch out because he doesn't always answer them in the way that we anticipate. Okay, so we're called to pray at all times and with all kinds of prayers, but also we're to keep praying with all perseverance. Um, He says there in, um, in the second half of verse 18, he said, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert with all perseverance. Um, This notion of being alert is rife through this whole context. We are in the midst of a spiritual war, and he's saying we need to be alert. And I think there's a number of different things that we need to be alert of. He's saying be alert so that you can persevere in this. This is so essential that you need to be aware that in your weakness, you are not going to be prone to pray. You are going to, um, your tendency is to be to avoid prayer, to think it's to minimize it, or it doesn't do anything. It's a last resort. Um, but a couple uh, fathers in our faith had some helpful things to say about that. John Bunyan said, he said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Uh, another guy said it even more strongly. He said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And that's such a, a reversal of our thinking. We think we ought to do everything with all of our might. And when all else fails, when our backs are up against the wall, then we cry out to the Lord and have him rescue us. But we need to be alert that prayer ought to be the lead-in. <laughs> that we ought to be clinging to God's power from the start, recognizing that we are nothing apart from him. So we need to be alert in that. Uh, we also need to be alert um, 
that we are under the attacks of the evil one, and so that alertness ought to drive us to prayer. It ought to drive us to clinging to God's promises. Um, that uh, Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, he said, um, a family without prayer is like a house without a roof, open and exposed to all the storms of heaven. And so often, you know, we, we fail to cling to God's protection, that God promises to protect us, but he promises to protect us through the means that he provides. And we are concerned about our spouses or our families or our church family or our world, and we fret, but we don't pray. And God has, is the God of the universe is saying, ask, and it will be given to you. Um, we need to be alert about, about the fact that we are at, uh, prayer is a, a war against the flesh. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ brought his disciples and his words to them were, watch and pray. Watch and pray. It was, be alert. He says, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. This aspect of prayer as being a watchfulness is essential. Um, we need to be vigilant. We can't uh, succumb to neglect or indifference. Think about what the disciples did. He said, watch and pray, and they fell asleep. They fell asleep. It wasn't something that was important to them. And how often are we those disciples that just fall asleep in our prayer life with indifference? Um, Charles Spurgeon said this, um, we should pray when we are in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. And we should pray when we are not in a proper mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so healthy a condition. And how often do we pray when we feel like it versus when we don't feel like it? It is war against our natural inclinations. It is war against our pride to ask for help. But this is what our God calls us to. Our Father beckons us. We need to be alert. We need to be praying that we would not fail, that our, our own hearts, uh, our families, our church would stand firm. And we need to be alert that we would actually follow through. It's easy for us to make resolutions, to make plans. I'm great at making plans and then not following through with them. We have to be alert that we, of our own natural inclinations to resist these things and actually follow through with prayer. And there's an aspect that we need to be alert that this becomes something that we do with zeal and enthusiasm. Uh, one commentator mentioned that the, the language Paul uses is such, it's, it's similar to, um, it's associated with uh, the, somebody who has the enthusiasm or zeal with a committed practice of a craft or trade. Uh, by that I mean, um, in your job, there's a certain level of enthusiasm that you, you, you take on as you seek to serve your customer, you seek to advance your own career, you grow in your skill, and that's the language that Paul uses that we ought to have that zeal for prayer, that we ought to pour ourselves into it and grow in it, uh, recognizing what it is that we've been given by our God. And um, I think that level of alertness is definitely something that we miss in the church today. Uh, it feels like prayer is this bolt-on to our life, like we, 
we can do all these things. And if we need to, if we can, like, yeah, I, sure, I, I feel bad. I should pray more. Uh, it's just nice to have. Um, and a lot of that, I think, is down to the fact that we think, well, God is sovereign and he's got this. Like, I, I'm not really going to influence anything. I'm not going to bring anything about. And it's true, God is sovereign. And he does have control of all these things. But Spurgeon had this quote, which I think is essential for us to understand. Is he, he says, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Uh, if you may have everything by asking in his name or nothing without asking, I beg you to see how absolutely vital prayer is. Or in James's language, he says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. And we miss that aspect of, of, of the message when we think about God's sovereignty. How does God work out his sovereign will? I think he works it out in response to people asking for it. So we must ask. So we pray at all times. We pray with all perseverance, but we also pray for all the saints. He says, um, making supplication for all the saints. It's a, a, we need to be praying for all of God's people. We need to, our, our prayers need to go beyond ourselves, outside the walls of our homes even, be thinking about one another. A theme throughout the book of Ephesians is how God has united all of his people in one, in Christ Jesus, and part of how that unity is maintained, how we grow in our love for one another, how we build one another up, is in prayer. So we must be praying for one another. But somewhat surprisingly, or maybe it's just a surprise to me, but he asks for prayer for himself in this. He includes himself in the list of the saints. He says, pray also for me. And he prays specifically for that gospel message. Specifically, he says this. He says, pray that words may be given to me. Words may be given to me. And this is the Apostle Paul, which it's not like he didn't have the words. You know, like we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, uh, I delivered to you what I received, which was of first importance, the very, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and in, earlier in Ephesians, he says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery which God gave to me for your sake. And so now he's turning around and he's saying, uh, pray that I would have those words, which is remarkable. I mean, he's, he's the one that wrote 13 books of our Bible, and he's asking that God would give the words. And specifically, I think these are words in the preaching. He says, um, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Um, this, this term in verse 19, opening his mouth boldly, could also be clearly um, or freely, unhindered by uh, himself or uh, his own faulty thinking. Um, and so he asked for that freedom, that clarity, but also he asked for boldness. He says in verse 20, again, he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it 
boldly as I ought to speak. And again, this is the Apostle Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And this is the one who, would, who said, I opposed Peter to his face when he misunderstood the gospel and was not living it out appropriately. And yet he's asking for boldness to proclaim it, almost admitting a timidity of sorts, uh, a hesitancy, a nervousness. Um, and it's interesting how he, he terms himself. He calls himself an ambassador in chains. And we initially think about the chains, which helps us remember that he was imprisoned at this time, probably in a Roman prison. But there may be something more to it than that. Um, he, he talks in other books about um, being an ambassador, being God's mouthpiece, charged with God making his appeal through us. And he talks about himself being a servant of the Lord, even a bondservant of the Lord. And perhaps that, that change that he's talking about is he sees himself as not just an ambassador, but an ambassador that is God's servant that, and that must speak this gospel boldly, he says, as I ought to speak. He says in another book, he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I must do it. I, that is my job. And yet he's asking the Ephesian church to pray for him that he would have those words, that he would have that boldness, that clarity to proclaim it. Which is an awfully odd prayer, uh, awfully pr odd prayer request if prayer doesn't really do anything. If prayer just changes the one who prays, that's an odd prayer because Paul was in a Roman prison. Ephesus was a thousand miles away. There's no way that they were going to see his face again. The only reason this makes sense is because the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, believed that prayer would result in God's action in Paul's preaching that would result in God's work being done through power that was beyond Paul's to muster. And if we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, we think about how much prayer was saturated in his earthly ministry. I mean, he, uh, gospel writers talk about him going off to pray on his own. He prayed publicly. He taught um, how to pray, gave us the Lord's Prayer. One of the last acts that he did in John chapter 15 was he had the great high priestly prayer for his people. And of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with such anguish that he had drops of blood. But why did he do all this? Why, why would he pray why would the Lord Jesus pray? Was he, was he trying to get inner peace? Was he trying to center his thoughts on God's thoughts? I mean, certainly that was an aspect of it, but I don't think that's why the Lord Jesus Christ was praying. I think the Lord Jesus Christ was praying for God's protection in his earthly ministry. He was praying for wisdom. He was praying that he would interact and identify the right people that he would minister to, that he would reveal the gospel of himself to the right people and conceal it from the right people. And if we can bear it, that he would have the strength and the power to even lay down his life on behalf of his people and that he would have faith 
that God, his father, would raise him up from the dead. Prayer was an essential aspect of his earthly ministry. But it, but it even continues even now. And we, we sang that song, Before the Throne of God Above. We have a, a high priest who is interceding for us. The, the book of Hebrews makes clear that the Lord Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven, sits at God's right hand and is continually interceding for us, continually praying for us. He's praying for you. As hard as that may be to believe, the Lord Jesus Christ, day and night, is praying for you and your spouse and your family. He's praying for Zion Presbyterian Church. He's praying for the churches in North Texas, the church across the globe in the past and in the future. He is praying for us. But he's also at work in us. That's Christ's spirit that is in us, that is interceding through us. He is at work. It's an intentional, ongoing ministry of prayer that the Lord Jesus has, which tells us the essential nature of prayer in our lives. And we also see that even outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, just two passages I'll mention in 1 Samuel 17, when Samuel is um, getting ready to end his ministry, he says these words. He says to the people of Israel, he says, far be it from me that I should fail that I should sin by failing to pray for you. Far be it for, for me that I should sin. Um, and you see that also in the New Testament in Acts chapter 6, in that passage where we see the institution of the deacons. You know, there's this conflict in the church, and, and the, the apostles say, you know, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. They say the ministry of the word for the sake of waiting tables. And so they call these men to be deacons, and then the apostles say, they say, you take care of the tables. We will give ourselves to the preaching and to prayer. They see prayer as a vital aspect of the ministry of the word, a ministry of protecting the flock. And in our officer training here at Zion, this has been an, an important emphasis for us, um, Part of what the officer candidates have had to do is work through a list of tasks in, to, to kind of calibrate them to the work of the office. And each of the men was charged with praying through the entire congregation of Zion for in, in a week and to do that three times um, with the hope that that would continue over and over and that would become part of their prayer life because prayer is essential for God's people, it's particularly essential for the officers of the church that we must pray for you. So you have been prayed for regularly by the men that have not even begun uh, serving as officers, just in their uh, training. But, but beloved, it's not, it's not just an officer task either. This passage in Ephesians chapter 6 is for the church. It is for all of us. We are all called to pray for all the saints all the time with all perseverance. And so, like, if I could give some practical uh, advice, some practical application, you know, if we're to keep alert in this and to do it with devotion and zeal, that takes planning. We recognize that we, um, we have good intentions, but we must make a plan and follow through with that plan. I, I would recommend making a a daily plan of how you want to pray, things that you want to pray for so that you are praying comprehensively. Um, 
And whether you use a piece of paper or you use a computer or a phone or whatever to track that stuff, that does, that's not the point. The point is um, that you make that plan and you actually follow through with it. Um, one thing that we do in youth group, which is helpful at times, is to pray what we call the, the Acts prayer. If you haven't heard it, I'll explain it real quickly, but then you can grab your, your favorite youth group guy and ask them to explain it too. But Acts is it's an acronym. Adoration is A. Uh, that's praying that you you're praising God for His characteristics, His work. C is confession, where you're confessing sins. T is thanksgiving, thanking God for His goodness, and then S is supplication, where you're actually praying prayer requests. And those are those all kinds of prayers where you're trying to work through those types of things. Make that part of your plan, where you're not just having this diet of asking God, you know, God give me all these things, but you're actually confessing your sins, you're praising him, you're giving thanks. Um, and it's helpful in our supplications to think from our inside out. Uh, what I mean by that is start by praying for yourself for sure, um, but think beyond like the things that you have as your immediate concerns. Be praying for your spiritual growth and maturity. Pray for victory over the sins, that, that God would help you see the sins that are in your life, and that you would have victory over those sins. Um, pray for your spiritual disciplines. Pray for your prayer life. I mean, it seems counterintuitive, but if God wants us to pray, and prayer is hard for us, we ought to pray that we would pray. Um, pray for your knowledge of God's word. Pray for those recent events in your life. But then start from yourself and then pray outward. If you're married, pray then for your spouse regularly. Pray for your kids regularly. Pray for your extended family. Pray for your church family. We all need to be praying for each other. And then go beyond the walls of Zion and pray for churches in North Texas, churches across the globe. Pray for future generations. The Lord hears these prayers and he answers these prayers. And um, if you do these things, beloved, I think these are some of the results that you'll see. Uh, you'll see a deepening love and trust from your heavenly father as he begins to give you eyes to see that he, he hears you and that he responds. Um, I think you'll begin to see those answers to your prayers come to fruition and in astounding ways. But also, I think there will be times where God answers your prayers in the affirmative in ways that you did not expect and maybe didn't want to go that way. But when you're praying for that result, which is part of God's will, it gives you the patience and the perseverance to endure the trial that that might go through, recognizing that God is with you uh, on that journey. Uh, so it helps for that. And it helps you grow in joy for your prayer life. Um, There's a delight where it, it, become, it moves from being a, I know I have to, to, and I can't wait until I do, or I need to. Like, I, I, I feel anxious, I feel worried, I feel angry. I need to go to the Lord because that's um, where I can lay these things at his feet. Um, as you pray, uh, my, my final point of application is please pray for me. This is hard. This is a hard thing for me to ask for, uh, but you must, you must pray for me as your pastor. Um, I am a young preacher, 
and uh, growing older as a man by the day, but I still have a long way to go as a preacher. I am beset by weakness and temptation um, in every aspect of my life, and I need your prayers. This pulpit, for all the ministries that we will have at Zion Presbyterian Church, the pulpit ministry is the primary ministry that the Lord wages spiritual warfare where he reclaims and rescues wayward sinners. He bestows his grace through this pulpit. Um, and it's the way that people are rescued from Satan's clutches. And I recognize that that comes through my weakness. And so I need your prayers. I need the right words to penetrate hearts that and it's not my words that will penetrate the hearts. It will be God's spirit that does as he uses my words. God's word is a double-edged sword that gets under people's skin and exposes sin, but also gives the hope of God's grace and um, mercy. And I need the freedom and the clarity to proclaim it with boldness. Uh, one one uh, illustration I read was that... Um, Often, you know, you can have right doctrine without clarity, and you can have clarity without good doctrine. And good, good uh, clarity without good doctrine is like sunlight on the desert where there is nothing to see. And then good doctrine uh, without clarity is like a beautiful landscape at night that you can't even see. There needs to be clarity, there needs to be truth, there needs to be the hope of the gospel with conviction and boldness. And it comes through prayer. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who was considered the prince of preachers, one of the greatest preachers uh, of the recent centuries, uh, he was asked, what is the secret to your ministry? And his answer was, my people pray for me. And beloved, please don't pray that I will be like Charles Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards or R.C. Sproul, but that I would be free from the comparisons against men who have God has used to powerfully call his people. Pray that I would be free from the temptations to try to entertain or to be novel or free from the fear of man or woman, your, your, your opinions, um, free from bad doctrine or exposition. And pray that God's Spirit would so empower what happens at this pulpit that even despite my weakness, that God would do his powerful work through this ministry so that those who see it would say, God is really among this place. God is really among this place. Uh, the period in Matthew Henry said, um, you may as soon find a living man who does not breathe as a living Christian who does not pray. And his point is simply that prayer is an essential part of our lifeblood. And prayer is a gift, beloved, that we have been given by the Almighty God to approach him and speak to him. But it's much more than a gift. It's an obligation. It is a responsibility. It is our means of survival. So we need to keep alert. We need to watch and pray at all times with all perseverance for all the saints.
Let's pray together.